and welcome to bonus content on Insurance Town Podcast. I'm going to jump right into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you asked for it. Here's a follow-up to last week's episode with Ryan Mayfield on the Enneagram. How you doing today, Ryan? Doing okay, Heath. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I feel like, you know, since the episode's release, which was yesterday, as we're recording today, I've already had lots of text messages. I've had several people inbox me different questions and different things they wanted to ask. So I'm glad you could jump on today and do a, a bonus episode. So yeah, well, when you when you offered to have the private jet pull a U turn, come back and pick me up again to bring me back to the <laughs> studio, I, I couldn't say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was between that and the helicopter. I couldn't decide which one. <laughs> um, but I hope the limo driver was nice to you as well. He was okay. I've had worse. <laughs> so let's do <laughs> let's do a quick recap. One through nine, if you don't mind, maybe a quick recap of all the numbers real quick, the title and maybe some characteristics, and then we'll walk in from there and do some other stuff. For sure. So uh, yeah, we'll just start with number one and move down the list, uh, talk about some core needs maybe. Uh, so type one, the core need is to be perfect or to be right, to be accurate. Um, I'm a type one and we can load the dishwasher better than you. That's that's kind of how ones are. Uh, <laughs> you got type two, who the core need for type twos is to be needed by others, right? They're servant-hearted, love helping people for the most part. Type three, uh, which is you, correct? Right, that's me. Yeah, okay, so type three, the core need is to perform or to achieve uh, type threes, a lot of times are pretty competitive. They like to win and, uh, and look good at what they're doing, right? Type fours, uh, their core need is to be unique or to be different. They like to bring something to the table, something to the team that is unique that no one else can offer. Uh, type fives, those are your wisdom people. Their core need is to know. And so they love uh, to know things. They like to do some research and uh, just know all the facts, get their, their heads around whatever the issue at hand is. Uh, type sixes, their core need is to be secure or to be safe, right? They're kind of head on a swivel type people looking out for the good of the group and, and looking for threats, things like that tend to think in terms of worst case scenario. Uh, and so that's the type six looking for safety and security type seven. The core need for type seven is to avoid difficulty or to avoid pain. Um, they're usually really outgoing kind of exuberant, adventurous, spontaneous people. Uh, they're, they're a fun time. They like to go on adventure and they like to take other people on adventures with them. And so high energy sevens. Uh, so like, yeah, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Type eight is the, the core need for type eights is to be against something or to be for something. Eights are typically fighters and they want to fight on behalf of some worthy cause or against some worthy challenger or worthy opponent. Right. And so they're not afraid of some conflict. They'll get in there and, and do that kind of work. And then you got type nines whose core need is to avoid conflict, right? For a nine, they love to bring people together and help people see other people's viewpoints, but uh, they also can get really nervous about conflict and, and think that it can be a really big deal. And so they oftentimes try to avoid that conflict. So that's the, the very quick uh, nine types of the Enneagram. No, I think that's perfect. And I'd like to dive into more of that. And again, not in any particular order, obviously, but I was going to interrupt you on the seven. So that's my bad. 
so I find that somewhat fascinating. I really thought I might have had a little bit of seven in me, which is actually the lowest number I had in my test. Really? Because I am high energy, very enthusiastic, very bubbly, happy. You know, my wife calls me dumb, blonde, happy personality. <laughs> uh, no offense to blondes. That's not what I meant. But, you know, and she teased me for just being so happy and energetic. But you say they do that because, you know, of risk of being hurt or risk of this or that. Is that, could you talk about that a little bit more for my sevens out no, seven, right? Yeah. For my yeah. sevens out there that are listening, let's dive into your personality a minute. Grab your pen and paper <laughs> and start taking some notes. Yeah. So sevens, you know, I won't say that it's always this way. And I don't mean to make it sound like every single time a seven's trying to have a good time is a defense mechanism. But a lot of times that is like the the outgoing, excited, fun-loving nature can be kind of a defense mechanism against dealing with more difficult things in life, right? So if a seven has to choose between doing something new and exciting and fun or dealing with something potentially difficult right in front of them, it's very difficult for them to choose the the more difficult thing that's in front of them. Uh, they have to be very intentional and very strategic in order to do that. So you think that's self-conscious or conscious that they choose the happy, fun, loving? Because what you sound like you're saying to me is it's a conscious decision. Instead of dealing with, you know, something that's scary or something that's difficult, they would rather be here. Is that what you're saying? It's a conscious decision. Uh, well, probably the sevens that are listening to this are going to be conscious of it in the future. So, uh, <laughs> well, I just want to be honest about it. Yeah. Well, so for most, probably not. Um, you okay. know, they may or may not so, be aware of it, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way. It's just naturally how we are, right? We all have our okay. kind of natural yeah. tendencies. And for sevens, that's definitely one of the natural tendencies. I gotcha. So like for me as a three, I don't want to necessarily be this uber competitive a-hole, but it's just like you're <laughs> saying, it's my personality. It's just what naturally comes out of me sometimes, right? Are you looking for an excuse? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> Maybe, but no, back to the seven. So, you know, you <laughs> oh yeah, that was on. quick. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go back to that a minute. We'll come back to the threes here in a minute. But so for sevens, as, as we're talking about that, if you're with Evergreen and you're seeing, you know, a team that has a couple of sevens on this team, what's the best way to navigate through, you know, any situation with a seven on your team? Right. So I actually had a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with a seven yesterday and I gave her a couple of tips. I, I don't think there's any like one huge thing that each number should do. I think there's a lot of different practical steps or applications that you can take to grow uh, in your number. And um, sevens, you know, sevens like exciting, fun, high energy things. And so one of the things I tell sevens to do is to practice boring, right? To, to practice something that's not fun or not super, you know, energetic. Uh, and so it, you know, it sounds like torture to sevens, but I'll tell sevens <laughs> right? to occasionally at the grocery store, choose the longer checkout line, right? Oh, like okay. things like that, that don't matter in the moment, like, but it's practice for when it does matter, right? For when you have to do the thing that is more difficult. Also tell sevens to every day do one small menial task because what will happen is sevens will put off those little tasks until later and they all pile up and then you've got a whole day or week full of terrible, boring tasks. And that is even worse than, you know, the occasional, terrible task that a seven might be able to choose on their own. So 
It's, it sounds a little bit like we might be saying negatively about sevens. What are some of the most positive attributes of a seven and what you can look for on a team with sevens and what you should highlight in a seven, so to speak? Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind really quickly. Um, first of all, is that sevens bring a lot of great energy to a team. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I'm not a high energy individual. And so I sevens that I work with can, can bring up that energy, bring up that, um, you know, momentum and, and stuff with a team that I might not bring to the team. And so that's one of the great things. The other one that comes to mind is innovation. Sevens are just idea factories. They're always coming up with new ideas to try new uh, initiatives or endeavors or whatever it is. And so if you're stale and you need some new sevens can bring some new energy forward moving future oriented energy to a team. Uh, and so those are a couple of the really great things that sevens can bring to a team. So in a, in a team environment, where do sevens tend to gravitate or what numbers tend to gravitate towards sevens? Is there a specific combo there that you see or is there a hard and fast rule on that? There's certainly not a hard and fast rule. I, I believe and what I tell people is that any number can thrive in any situation and with any other number. So it's not so much about which numbers are paired up as how healthy those individuals are, how aware those individuals are in what number they are, right? Uh, if you're an unaware seven, like you can torpedo any relationship or any role that you're in. And that's true for any number, not just sevens. But if you got two people that are both aware and growing uh, and just in their own personal development, uh, then I think any combination can thrive. That being said, I do think there are some numbers that have some rubs with other numbers that um, are more that I see more often than others. And so I do know that sevens love to, like I said, try new things and, and maybe sometimes color outside the lines a little bit, if you will. Uh, and so numbers that tend to struggle with that uh, are like myself, a one can really struggle with that. Uh, fives and sixes can also struggle with that for all their different reasons. I mean, if you think about what their core needs are, right? As a one, my core need to be perfect and to be accurate. Whereas a seven is just, you know, shooting shotgun blast ideas in every direction. Uh, you can see how those would be in conflict. Now I'm not saying that's all the seven's fault. The one like myself has to do the work to be flexible on that stuff as well. It's always a group effort. And so, yeah, I, I don't think there's magic combinations. I do think that every combination can have its benefits as well as its pitfalls, you know, just to go back to the one seven combo. Uh, I just actually did a, a podcast this last week. It was released uh, where it's a one and a seven together uh, in a work environment talking about how they made that work in a really, really cool way. And so there's a lot of benefits to that too. So it just depends on the situation and the people involved. Oh, well, so uh, I like that in the one seven. I think that's fascinating that you said that the one and the seven may sometimes have difficulties because you as a one and the coach, you know, coaching that seven yesterday had to have been fun for you or, you know, interesting for you to challenge yourself in that and for them to yeah. challenge themselves in working with you. So, and last week, um, and again, I don't want to dive into this too much because I've heard a lot of people laughing about it and think it was great. But you did find some fascinating things, you said to me anyway, about a 3-4 relationship, which mm -hmm. I thought was interesting because it was very true. And a recap from last week, if you haven't listened to the episode, go back to it. But I'm a 3 and my wife's a 4. And what you said about the 4, you know, thanks a lot for that, by the way. Now she uses that on me all the time. That's, you know, uh, ammo. <laughs> but 
you know, you said that the fours are a lot of times a, a BS detector and, and they can read a room and decide, you know, and they're usually calling out the person that's the three. <laughs> and so <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, great premarital or not premarital, but marital counseling for me. So uh, yeah, anyhow, it was fun. And now she's having a good time with that, but anything else on that three, four combo? Cause I found that fascinating. If you wanted to, to dive into a little bit of that. Yeah. So you know, I don't remember exactly everything that we talked about. Uh, I do know I usually talk about in a three, four combination, you know, one of the, that, that is a difficult combination. It can be because the three is so good at putting on a different mask, you know, in different situations and fours usually just hate masks because they love authenticity. And so there can be some real friction there for sure. Uh, but there's also good lessons that they can learn from each other. Threes need to learn from fours about how to be open and authentic and their real selves. And fours need to learn from threes on how to have tact with other people and not just be, you know, a blunt like call out against everything that they see just because, I mean, gosh, if that's all you ever do, then people will eventually turn you off. And so it's, it's a trade-off and everybody has to learn from each other. And so I think, as much tension as there can be between a couple of numbers like a three and a four, there's also a whole lot to learn there. Uh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, I, I loved the combinations that you talked about with that, the three, four, and I've loved what you said about one, seven. Is there any other interesting combinations that you see in a work environment that, that combo well, or that can be a complete polar opposite that danger, danger, danger situations? <laughs> Yeah. So let's see, I'll think through some of the ones I see commonly. Uh, I work with one organization that's led by a three, but the staff is overwhelmingly twos. Uh, and that, um, that has, again, just like any combination has its, its pros and cons. What can be difficult about that is, you know, threes are super driven a lot of the time and twos love to help. And so the twos will just help, 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 and can eventually run themselves into the ground. The three doesn't know that there's an issue because the twos seem like they want to help. And so they just keep pushing. And eventually the twos though will get burned out on that. And so it's really important for that kind of a combination to understand the three needs to know, hey, twos are going to have a lot of trouble saying no. And I'm going to throw out a lot of things they could say yes to. And if I'm not careful, I will eventually run them dry. And twos on the other hand need to know that you know, that's going to happen and that they need to be self-aware and able to, to learn how to say no to some of those things or find the parameters of what specifically their job requirements are. If the twos and the threes in that situation can do that, I mean, that's a power combination. The three has so much vision and so much drive. And if they're surrounded by twos who are willing to help with that, good grief. Like if you do it in a healthy way, you can accomplish as much as anybody else uh, and more so. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that and from what you're saying. Um, so we've touched on ones a little bit, twos, threes, fours. I don't want to, I don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. Um, is there, let, let's, okay. You said, talk about the fives for just a minute. Um, what are, what's the main characteristic there in a five? And let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah. So fives are the ones that need to know. Those are your researchers. And so, uh, they are incredible at that. Like if you're needing information, if you're needing to gather that kind of stuff, 
you better have at least one five in that group because they will do that work and they'll do it well. The struggle for a lot of fives though is actually taking that information and doing anything with it. Fives tend to have trouble taking action, right? Making decisions and moving the ball forward. And so they can be um, paired up with some more action-oriented numbers like a three, like a seven, or like an eight uh, who are all about you know, taking action and, and moving forward. And so if an eight can learn to be patient enough to work with a five and a five can learn to uh, not take, you know, an eight's words or actions as an assault on themselves, they can be a really good combination as well because eights often take action without all the information and fives typically have all the information and fail to take action. And so if you can pair those up, it's a great combination. That sounds like a great combination. And so back to the fives, the researcher type, is that someone um, that typically, let's say in the insurance, the insurance role, would that be someone more of, if you're talking on the company, more of an actuarial role that's researching data and finding maybe rates and stuff like that? Or is it more of someone who's, you know, again, I'm trying to compare this to insurance and where the five might fall into place. Uh, when you say research, uh, what would that, how would that? I mean, so admitting my own ignorance of some of the insurance, of insurance. industry, yeah, yeah, no, uh, I what I, what did come to mind when you said that was like, I know there are independent agents, right. Who can sure. shop a lot of different carriers. Uh, and like a five, I think would kill some of that, you know, because Makes Some sense. people don't feel like they have time to shop all the different options, but fives don't get drained by that usually. And so I could see a five. I mean, any number can do research well, well of but course. a five yeah, would yeah. just love to dive into that and find the best information possible uh, on the different okay. options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, a difficult risk that comes across the table for a commercial account of finding carriers to do that. That makes sense. Um, and so, you brought up an eight in that combo. Uh, tell me a little bit more about an eight, what that number is, characteristic traits, and yeah. so forth. So eights, you know, this may sound bad, but stick with me, eights. Um, <laughs> eights, eights are typically the most like aggressive number, and, and and it shows, and I think most of them know that about themselves, and certainly the people that they work with know that about them. But what's misunderstood, and hear me, eights are very misunderstood, is that eights are not just bullies. I mean, an unhealthy eight will be a bully, but healthy eights can still be as aggressive as they normally would be without bullying people. The reason why eights can come across so aggressive is just because they're passionate. Eights are so passionate and love to step in and speak up on behalf of people that that maybe are weaker or aren't represented well. Um, eights are fighters and they, they love to fight on behalf of other people. I think um, that's fascinating that you said that and I'll let you finish. Sorry, but no, you're good. I get, like I said, I've gotten uh, probably a dozen text messages or emails, uh, which by the way, thank you from a lot of insurance agents and people that listen to this show who are insurance professionals. And most of them were eights. Hmm. A lot of them were eights. So I thought it was fascinating. I had a lot of eights, a lot of threes, a lot of ones and twos. Um, but the, the eights were overwhelmingly, um, you know, brought up, you know, when I asked them what their number was, they would say, you know, I hope you do a follow-up. I want to learn more about eight. So that's why I want to dive in here. Um, but I do find that fascinating because our industry is filled with a lot of people who are passionate, uh, a yeah. lot of people who care 
about their clients. A lot of people who want, you know, because if you ask any insurance agent, what sets you apart from the next insurance agent, they're going to say customer service, you know, and again, mm. if we all say that, then, you know, we got to figure out something different, obviously. We can't <laughs> all be good at customer service. But I find that fascinating. You said that they're passionate people that want to fight for the next person or stand up for their clients. And, you know, I'd love for you to dive in more in that because that's a lot of my listeners right now are eights. Uh, so again, Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to give you a little context there because I do yeah. find out, I do think a lot of insurance people in my 20 years of doing this are very passionate people. Yeah. Well, so a couple of thoughts on eights. You know, yesterday, actually, I was doing a, a team training with a company and and it was, uh, we're, I forget what we were even talking about, but somebody made a point that was a really good point and the eight in the room stepped in and say said something like, hey, just so you know, this person sitting next to me, who was a two, I think, said that about 10 minutes ago, right? And it was the eight stepping up and like defending someone else who wasn't fighting for themselves. Uh, and and we all thought that was really interesting. I was like, oh, and there's the eight chiming in on behalf of someone else, right? And, and eights will do that. Uh, a couple other things about eights, um, when they're particularly unhealthy, eights will tend to take on a lot of extra responsibility that no one asked them to, right? And, and then they can get burned out or even bitter over that. Like, why do I have to do all this stuff? The reality is that you don't have to, you took that on for yourself. Right. And so eights, uh, can do that. Eights usually respond really well to people being very direct and authoritative with them. That's just how they tend to communicate. And so that's how they receive communication as well. I had a friend who is leading a company and he had an eight that was working for him that he was having some issues with. And I told him, Hey, look, you need to just be straightforward with this person. Tell them, listen, I'm the boss. This is what your job is. This is what's expected of you. You can do other things, but if you don't do these things, this isn't going to work out. And ever since then, he says that that's his best employee. Really? Yeah. Because eights are like, okay, you're the boss deal. I can deal with that. Uh, And so Eights are, I love eights and eights are mountain movers, right? They're not afraid of any challenge. Probably one of the other awesome things, especially if you're ever in an environment where you have more than one eight, everybody else that's not an eight will tend to think that the two eights are always fighting with each other. It's really funny to watch because, and I have an office in mind when I say this, where there's two eights, one is the boss uh, and the other one is one of the employees and they're kind of at opposite ends of the, the office. And, and so they will yell back and forth at each other down the hallway. And up until we did like a team training with them, everybody else thought that they were fighting with each other. But the reality was that these people were best friends and eights like a good sparring match. They want to know, what do you really believe? What do you stand on? Do you actually care? Are you willing to stand up and fight for something? And so it's actually almost like a sign of respect whenever you bow up to an eight a little bit and, and they'll be like, okay, you believe in something good for you. I can respect that. And it's really fun. Oh, that is fun. I like that a lot. Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, again, uh, this is my podcast. So I'm going to talk about me for a minute. Uh, on, for me, I'm a three, but also have a, a, a eight, a real high eight in me. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating because again, I've been in this almost 20 years now and I am thriving more in my career. And I found a job where I'm, I'm doing better now than I probably ever have. And I'm working in corporate America now. You know, mm. my the company I work for is, is obviously all state for those who know. So it's all corporate America. It's, you know, it's real um, 
finger on the pulse. They want to know what I'm doing. And I'm responding well to that. Like you said mm -hmm. earlier, they respond to someone telling them. And so I got my parameters. I know what they expect of me. And now the three in me comes out only better than everybody else at those parameters. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure it does. And and threes, if somebody is a three, seven, or eight, it's really common for them to be, you know, have a lot of those other two numbers in them, right? So as a three, it's not uncommon for you to identify a lot with sevens and eights. Those three numbers are all what's called like aggressive stance numbers. And so there's a lot of similar energy there. The other thing I'll say is that the insurance industry is probably great for threes because uh, at least from what I know, uh, you know, most of insurance industry, your, your benefits and pay are all based strictly on performance, right? Like how many new clients you can go out and get and all that kind of stuff. Right. Oh yeah. Is that true. And so that is very true. A lot of commission based, a yeah, lot of commission based employees, commission based stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, of the uh, lately anyway, I've noticed a lot of the customer service employees, even if they're W2 employees, it's incentive laden. And so mm -hmm. if they know they have to win to get paid or they're going to get a bonus based upon this, they're going to jump right in there and do it. Um, so yeah, you're right. A lot of the insurance industry is either incentive laden or it's uh, commission W, you know, 1099 right. type employees. So yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we've hit several numbers. Now, the one that is most interesting to me because I'm not anywhere close to this number. It's the nine. Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the nine and you're, and you're smiling real big. Uh, what is, what is that? What's that about? Is the nine oh, a number or is it just about me not being a nine? No, just about you not being a nine that uh, I'm not surprised at all by that. Um. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Go ahead. Um, I'm interested to see more about the nine now because that number, when I look at it, jumps out of the page at me a little bit. Yeah, so nines, man, a healthy nine is such a, a blessing to a team. Like nines have this ability more so than any other number to to bring cohesion, to, to bring um, harmony and understanding to a team because the superpower of nines, if you will, is perspective, right? If you see the actual Enneagram like drawing, nines sit on the very top of it. And, and that is very fortunate because it illustrates very well that nines have this overarching perspective on all the other numbers. In fact, nines can sometimes struggle to figure out which number they are because they can see everybody else's perspectives really pretty easily. And so, you know, an unengaged nine, an unhealthy nine is just afraid of conflict and wants to keep their head down, not rock the boat, not get involved. But a healthy nine will engage with the group and, and try to make peace and help people understand each other's perspectives. They make the best mediators whenever they're healthy. And so uh, if you got conflict or you got differing ideas, things like that, nines are your people whenever you need groups of people to understand each other better. So knowing what we know now about eights, do eights and nines class or work well together? You know, that's a really good question. And um, eights and nines are such an interesting combination. And I, I almost brought it up earlier because and this isn't everybody's experience, but in my personal experience, I know more married couples that are eights and nines than any other number combination. And it's typically uh, a female eight with a male nine, not always, but that's scary. <laughs> well, if they can figure out the rules around it, it can work super well. You know, one of the misunderstandings with eights is that people think eights just want you to get out of their way. But like I said before, eights are actually looking to see what you believe in. And so if you just roll over and 
get out of the way, they eights can actually lose respect. And so that's where eights and nines can struggle. If the nine is just like, yeah, whatever you want is great. You know, eights will have trouble respecting that person. So nines have to learn how to stand up against the eight sometimes. And eights have to learn how to not be just crazy passionate about every single thing or expect the nine to be crazy passionate about it. If they can do that, I mean, that's another great, uh, great couple or a great team. Uh, if you're in a work environment, because eights are going to move the ball forward and nines are going to make sure that everything is smooth sailing around it. Okay. Now another combo that I think about in my head, and again, I'm still a beginner. I'm fascinated by the Enneagram. But I'm still learning. What is the combination? How do you work with a nine? You're a one mm-hmm. and you, you think, you know, you do it better than everyone else, but that nine, <laughs> how does, how does that work? You know, do you see that combo often, how that works and plays together? Uh, I've definitely seen it some, uh, you know, ones and nines. Uh, I, I love a nine. Like, I, I don't know that there's usually a ton of tension between a one and a nine. Nines are just typically the most easygoing and agreeable number on the whole thing. And and I um, I have some nine in me for sure. Not a ton, but I, I can get it. And so... A lot of times for me, if I'm working with a nine, the reason why I want to be right or I want to be accurate is because I think everything will work together better in, in harmony to use nine language if, you know, everybody adheres to these rules. Um, and so, you know, it's funny, like yesterday, my wife and I were driving around and I guess I missed the memo, but yesterday was crazy driver day. Like uh, yeah, it was insane. The number of, right. Ridiculous. I think everybody, everybody in the town you live in drives terribly. So go ahead. <laughs> he, I, there's a roundabout near my house and I've literally come up to that roundabout with someone going in it in reverse. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Conway has roundabouts in every street. I, they don't believe. I love roundabouts, man. Oh, I absolutely I them. love them. I absolutely no, hate them. But the, side love them. On roundabouts. But, but, but this person, I guess, missed their turn, which a roundabout, if you're ever going to miss a turn, the roundabout's the place you want to be, right? Because it's just going to come around again. Yeah. But, it reminds me of the National Lampoons and they're going around. There's Apple Tower kids. <laughs> There's Apple Tower kids. And they yes. just keep going anyway. Well, so yesterday as we're driving around and people are forgot to take their uh, I don't know, stuff to keep them from being crazy drivers, whatever that is. <laughs> we need more of that here. Um, yeah. They, um, I kept saying, I'd get frustrated at stuff because people weren't, you know, quote unquote, playing by the rules. And if everybody would just play by the rules, then everybody would, you know, be able to drive and get where they need to go and not have unpredictability in the middle of it. Um, and so that's kind of my one nine merging a little bit is, hey, do it this way because it'll be better for everybody. Does that make sense? Sure, but, you know, you mentioned, you said the phrase, and maybe I misunderstood, but on the nine, they keep the ball moving forward sometimes, but if they're keeping the ball moving forward, but they're not doing it the way the one wants it, I feel like that could be a friction. No, no, no. So when I was saying the ball moving forward, I was talking about the eights keeping the ball moving forward. Okay. The well, nines then maybe the- are smoothing everything out around Okay, that. maybe, okay. Uh, maybe the eight, maybe I have to, to edit out my dumbassery on that, but maybe it was the, the eight and the one that I was thinking might have problems. Anyhow, um, 
let's now that we've talked about and touched on each one of the numbers um i'm fascinated and i love the fact that you've got a whole company based around this and you work with so many different vast teams you talked about last week um you talked about working from everything from universities to coffee shops to small businesses and nonprofits and insurance agencies. There's a lot of different teams and different categories you work with. What are some of the things that Evergreen does within some of those teams and some of the different ways you could help some of my listeners? Yeah. So Evergreen really focuses on organizational health, right? Growing, crafting, and maintaining healthy teams that, that thrive, right? Regardless of the situation. And so sometimes that's things like helping teams manage conflict, right? Inner, inner office conflict. Sometimes it's helping with the hiring process. I've also had to help with the firing process, right? Uh, I've, I've done team building stuff. A lot of it is kind of HR related things, but not the paperwork side of HR, if, if that makes sense. Uh, and so just helping teams get along and not spend their time and energy being frustrated or with miscommunication so that they can spend that time and energy doing their jobs and doing it, um, you know, without being slowed down by all those other things that tend to gum up the works for a lot of teams. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and so um, what, what's the time frame you normally work with a team? Um, yeah. or is there a big, let me ask you this in the beginning, is there a lot of pre-work that goes in for you with the CEO or the office manager, or whatever, or one-on-one -on -one individual counseling, not counseling, one-on-one -on -one coaching with people before you get into team? How's that work? So the first thing that I do with any client, regardless of what's going to happen next is always a team training right? So we get the whole team together and we do an Enneagram training, which covers the basics as well as some of the stuff we're talking about today, what it looks like for these numbers uh, to work together. And it's, you know, customized to whoever's in the room, right? So uh, I'll go back to that one I was talking about before. That's a business that's led by a three, but is mostly twos, right? So we spend a lot of time diving into what that means. Uh, and so from there, you know, some companies I'll just do a one-time training with and they can take the ball and run with it. But for most of my clients, it becomes an ongoing relationship where I'm doing stuff monthly with them. Uh, now I have different companies at different levels. So some companies I just meet with for one hour, like an hour workshop every month to bring a little new piece of content and work through, through something together. Did that with a team yesterday where we broke their, uh, organization up into different departments. And we kind of gave an Enneagram number to each of their departments and then talked about how that worked with their personal Enneagram numbers and what that meant for their jobs and their performance and their ability to succeed there. Uh, and so, but other companies I'll meet with multiple times a month for a training session like that, a coaching session where I don't bring any new content. We just work through whatever's going on in their company right then and there. Uh, I'll also spend an hour or two every month with whoever the leader of the team is to help them uh, work through potentially some personnel issues they might have. Hey, I'm having trouble with this person and this person. How do I talk to them about that? So I'll help them craft language and set up objectives for those interactions that they have. Um, I'll also help, you know, again, some teams at different levels, I'll help with hiring. So I've got a company right now that's asked me to do some pre-employment training with some people that they're probably going to hire just to make sure that they're a good fit for the company and for the culture that they want to create there. 
And so there's a lot of different services, but it's all around organizational health, making sure that teams are set up to thrive for the long haul. I think the pre-employment interviews and whatnot is something that is interesting to discuss because, and I wonder with you, if you're working with the office manager or the HR person that's hiring and doing the pre-interview, do you come in and help them identify, okay, this guy or girl you're interviewing is a four, you, know, you might want to watch out for these things or you've got, or is it a situation where you might say this girl's a four or guy's a four. You've already got seven fours. You may not need another four or can you still, how does that, sorry, I'm rambling. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, so I never tell people, Oh, this person is this number. Therefore don't hire them. Right. Again, I don't, you just I don't try to help them that. navigate around that number or help. Yeah. So work saying, with hey, that it, number. If you're going to hire this person, here's what you need to know. And here's some ways that you yeah. can really succeed. And here's some things to avoid. Uh, and just, yeah, because again, I believe that any number can be successful in any role. There are certain sure. things that some numbers might be better or worse at, but I, I, I don't, and I know people to do this, but I do not disqualify anybody based on what Enneagram number they test as. I mean, for a lot of different reasons, but I will help right. leaders find how to work with that person. Well, one of the things I found interesting last week, um, I, uh, well, the week before you, I interviewed a guy named Brian Klingscales and what they do. If you listen to that episode, I had a lot of people comment on this. He does team interviews where he'll have the whole team together interview yeah. new guy and to see how the whole team. And I thought that was fascinating. I, yes, I'd never heard that concept used very often. I shouldn't say never, but I hadn't heard it used often. I find that fascinating. Is that something you would recommend to other people that are listening to this? Absolutely. Um, team interviews, you know, it, it may not be feasible to get the whole team in on it, but grab one or two people from different departments to bring into it. And also, I even recommend separate interviews with different people from the company. Uh, and what I'll help people do is actually work together to make sure you get the information that you need out of those different interviews. So let's say you were potentially hiring somebody, you might spend some time with them and then I'll help you craft a little report to give to the next person that's going to interview them. So they know what to look for, what to ask about. And that way it, you're not just getting the same thing over and over again, but you're actually using one interview to inform the next interview to make sure that you dig deep enough to find out if they're really truly a fit for your organization or not. Oh, that's good. Um, and I, I really loved that Brian brought that up with the team interviews. Cause I think that's really cool. And I figured you'd have a stance on that. And I wonder as well, uh, will you send certain numbers in or do you think it's fascinating to, or different perspectives to have different numbers interview or do you see a difference in that? I think there's definitely value in that. The way that different numbers communicate, the kinds of questions they ask are all going to be different. And so, I mean, if you had just the same number interview like multiple times, this, you know, three different people that were all, you know, sixes, they're all probably going to ask similar or similarly minded questions, I suppose. And so I think there's definitely value in, in that. Um, I also, though, would train people to ask questions that are geared around company values, uh, which, you know, regardless of what number you are, understanding the company values and then how you can ask interview questions around that, uh, I would say is more important than, than which number is doing the interview. You know, I think it's fascinating talking about pre-employment interviews. And then, you know, my question now would be is once you hire that person or 
let's say you go on a hiring thing and you hire four or five people and you've already got synergy within your existing team, do you immediately go into another team training to incorporate the new people? Or is that something you just incorporate them as they go along? So for all of my monthly clients, I actually, as part of their ongoing package with me, they get uh, monthly onboarding training. And so any new person that they hire will get the same training that the team got at the very beginning. And so I've actually got like one of those scheduled next week with a company where they've hired a couple new people. I'm going to sit down with those two people, take them through that same training. That way they are on the same page as the rest of the team, understand the language and the framework. And we'll even talk about how their numbers interact with the people that are already on the team. That way, you know, it keeps going and no one's left out of the conversation. Okay. So let's, uh, let's begin the wrap up with this bonus episode with a couple other questions that I have. So with Evergreen, tell me or tell the audience, tell me whatever the, the biggest way that you feel like Evergreen can help a business. You talked about pre-employment, you talked about identifying, you know, different numbers and what they do together, but what's the biggest thing that you guys can do? What's your biggest strength I should say as a company? You know, I think the biggest thing that our training does is allows allows people to take off the the parking brake, if you will, right? If you've ever tried to drive a car and didn't know the parking brake was on, the car will move, right? You can drive a car with a parking brake on, uh, but it is it is rough on the car. It's rough on the brake. It starts to smell bad and sound terrible. And what happens in a lot of companies, they don't know it, but a lot of companies are trying to drive with the parking brake on, right? They're trying to get things done and accomplish things, but it's like everybody in their company, you know, has their different hangups and frustrations and frictions and all that. And so what we do, the training that we offer helps people figure out how to take the parking brake off. Everybody's still going in the same direction. You're just going to do it a whole lot faster and a whole lot smoother than you would have if people remained unaware of of their self, of their personalities, and how those personalities can work together. I think that's a great analogy with the parking brake thing. So uh, you, you guys do that well, and, and that is uh, a staple that you do with every with every company you work with. And what is, uh, do you have some advice that you could give right now for a team leader or something like that when you're um, when you're looking to hire someone like you or, or Evergreen? Yeah, uh, I would just say to, to look into it for yourself. You know, if, if you haven't done the research on this for yourself to find out what your personality type is, what the strengths and weaknesses of that are, I think just doing that will be a huge benefit to you personally. And just imagine if everybody that you worked with started doing that too, how much better that would make your team, how much more productive it would make your team. Uh, and then I, I don't think you'll have much trouble convincing yourself to, to implement this at a company or a, a team level once you do that. Okay. I think that's, I think that's dead on. I think uh, once I think as a CEO or an office manager, or whoever the person HR director is hiring you, once you can understand it yourself or once you can figure out what your number is and buy into the Enneagram, it's got to make it easier for them to lead the team in this exercise, right? Absolutely. Yep. Every time. I think whenever uh, our mutual friend and Conway introduced us together and sorry, talking about the Enneagram, my first thoughts were, as we talked about last week, 
I've taken so many of these dang personality tests. It's just another one, whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. But the moment I did it, just as a fun thing for my wife and I to do, I was all in. Once I yeah. could understand it, and which is the reason why I called you to come on the show. And I feel like you've got to see that. that when that yeah. light bulb comes on, that's got to be a cool moment for you. Oh, yeah. It's... Um... I love it, you know, in the middle of a training and describing a number and somebody's jaw just hits the floor. And then I have to convince them that I haven't been following them around. Right. It's just, <laughs> it's human nature. And um, yeah, that's one of my favorite moments for sure. That's fantastic. And that's like when we're describing coverage to a, a, to a client or we're trying to explain a policy or we're trying to do something and you can see that light bulb go off and they're like, Oh, that's why, okay, I need to purchase that or I need to up my coverages there or whatever. And, you know, it's the same thing. So, yeah, we get it as an industry. So, uh, I guess uh, I'll leave it kind of like I do. Again, I've never done a bonus episode. This is fun for me. Uh, last week, uh, I had you leave with advice or anything you would like to share with the audience. I guess we'll do the same here uh, on this episode. Uh if you want to do a sales pitch for Evergreen, that's fine too. Whatever you want to do with this last three to five minutes, uh, take the floor. And um, if we still get comments, we may have to do a third episode one day. Uh, but <laughs> take the floor. Uh, the dance floor is yours. Do whatever jig you want. <laughs> well, I admittedly am not much of a dancer as an Enneagram one because I can't do it perfectly. So therefore, I would not do it. Um, but, so you're uh, not better than me at dancing then. So I got uh, you on that one. No, I, there's a lot of things that I am not the best at and you probably won't see me do very many of those things. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, you know, I, I won't spend too much time on it because I feel like a lot of this has been, uh, you know, a little bit of a pitch. Now, uh, do I want more clients? Absolutely. But I want, people who are excited about building the best team that they can and care about their employees, uh, their teams around them and want to invest in those people, uh, both for the good of those people, but also just for the betterment of their team and organization in general. I believe that if the people on the teams get better, the teams get better. And if teams get better, your company gets better. And so if that's what you want, I can help make that happen. Oh, come on, man. That was just, that was too humble and too easy. I mean, I was expecting you to go on this, you know, wonderful diatribe. That just shows your humility there. And so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so guys, I really, if you're listening to this show and you're an agency owner, agency principal, agency office manager, whatever it may be, or if you're listening, you just think my team needs better synergy, uh, reach out to Ryan. Um, let's do this, Ryan. You did it last week, but let's do it again. Let's leave some contact information, yep. uh, email address, phone number, hit them with all your social things. Oh, and do one more thing. This is my podcast again, so I can talk about what I want to. Okay. Um, why don't you spend a few minutes, you have your own podcast called? Called Another Enneagram Podcast. That's yeah, right. I figured so, there was a bunch of them out there. I would just call it Another Enneagram Podcast. Right. Yeah. So why don't you, you know, give your contact and then, you know, share a little bit about your podcast. Let's send some people that direction. And um, tell them that uh, you shared this, your last podcast with me on yours. Yeah. So if they want to listen to it again. <laughs> they can do that. Yeah. So another Enneagram podcast, uh, basically myself and my co-host, whose name's Cody, get on there and we talk about how the Enneagram can help leaders lead their team better. Right. And so, it, you know, the topic may vary from week to week, but that's 
typically the general direction we go in. And so, yeah, I would love to have people jump over there and check it out. Uh, if you want to find out more information, uh, then the best place to go is to the website, which is evergreenteams.com. Again, evergreen spelled weird. It's E-V-R-G-R-N. So evergreenteams.com. And if you want to reach out to me, you can do that pretty easy at hello at evergreenteams.com. Uh, awesome. And the other thing um, that I find fascinating, and I'm going to give you one more plug opportunity, <laughs> Cricket. Tell me about cricket and your fascination with cricket, and then we'll let this podcast go finally. I'll put it to rest. But for the audience out there that doesn't know, this guy has a podcast about cricket, not like the (laughs) chirping animals or the chirping chirping insects, but the game cricket. How did you in in Arkansas find out about cricket and get a love for the game of cricket? (laughs) Well, um, before I lived in Arkansas, so I'm, I'm not native to Arkansas. Before I lived here, I actually lived uh, in India for a while. And I mean, cricket is nearly a religion there. And so fell in love with it and uh, loved to play it, loved to watch it. And, um, and yeah, so we, we did start a podcast. We're kind of on hiatus with that. I mean, sports are not really happening, so it's difficult to have a sports podcast. So I don't know when that will come back, but um, okay. it's called Around the Wicket we'll see where it goes. That's crazy. Uh, I just never even heard of cricket really. I had to <laughs> Wikipedia it before, but anyhow, second biggest so, sport in the world. That's wild. I never knew that. I just thought it was some dumb thing that rich people played, but, um, <laughs> anyway, apparently it's quite the contrast, uh, contrary, but, uh, all right, I'm gonna finally let this one go, put it to bed. Uh, thank you for coming on again. Yeah. I really appreciate and we could do a, a bonus episode. And if the people keep asking, I'm either going to just have them call you or we're going to do a third one. But I really do appreciate it. Um, you're, you're a good man, and I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for hanging out again with me and Ryan Mayfield today, talking about the Enneagram, my newest borderline obsession. <laughs> I really hope that uh, you've learned a lot. And I hope that uh, if you guys are interested in more, you will follow up with Ryan at Evergreen. They do such a good job. My first bonus content episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check it out. And don't forget, Thursday, to listen again. We got our regularly scheduled programming. So I look forward to hanging out with you again. Have a great day. See you on Thursday. Thursday.